0: Lord's Day 9, Heidelberg Catechism, question 26. I'll ask the question and let us respond together. Question 26. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Answer, that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful Father, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, in dependence on his Holy Spirit. Amen. By the Apostles' Creed, our undoubted Catholic Christian faith, we confess faith in God. We believe in God. And not just any God, but we believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in God, how he has revealed himself to us in his word. So by by saying I believe in God, the preposition in signifies that I believe that he is my God. I don't merely believe there is a God. Yes, there is a God, but he is My God. He is our God. And we believe and we trust him so much that we do not doubt, but joyfully believe that this God, our God, will give us all that we need for body and soul, that he will provide all that we need for body and soul in life, in life, and in death. That is our God. That is belief in our God. In life and in death, God is in control. And so to believe in this God is to believe in a particular God with all his attributes, and God's attributes, his governing, his protecting, his providing, his giving, his loving, his blessing. This is our God. He is our God, the God of our salvation, and the God of our comfort. What else do we need? What else do we need in this life but this God? And faith in God is belief that he is my faithful father. Faithful father. And God the father is first and foremost the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the eternal natural son of God and we are children by adoption. We are children by adoption. And adopted, adopted children are real children. And I don't mind the modifier adopted. But once the child is yours, let's drop the modifier adopted and simply call him mine. It's not as if we go around saying, hey, these are my two children. Here's my natural child. This is my other natural child. <laughs> no, we just simply call them mine. And it's the same for God in us as his adopted children, the modifier, let's get rid of it. We're simply God's. He is ours. We belong to him. And God simply says of each one of you, mine, my child. And so all the fatherly affection that God the Father has for God the Son, God your Father has that affection for you. He simply says of you, mine. So don't forget that God is our Father. And don't just speak to know that God is our Father. We don't want to just know that he's our Father, but we want to speak to our Father, our Father in heaven. And that's how we should pray. We should look to our Father As you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as it says here, as we go through that veil of tears, the veil of tears that is this life, we know that our Father is guiding us. Our Father is caring for us. Our Father is blessing us. Our Father is leading us. You are first and foremost God's beloved son and daughter. You know the love you have for your children, right? You know that, parents. That's the same love God, your Father, has for you, but even greater. For His love is so much greater than us as earthly parents. We have God as our Father. What else do we need in this life? We not only have a God who is our God, we have a faithful Father, but we have an Almighty God. Almighty speaks of His power, His ability. We have the love of the Almighty watching over us. So we don't fret the valley of darkness. We don't fret the veil of tears because the Almighty is leading us. The Almighty is providing and protecting us. We have one greater than death itself watching intimately over our lives. The Almighty Almighty means God can do all things. He can accomplish all his holy will. Now, there are things we in theology, we confess that God cannot do. But we don't fret that God can't do everything. We believe God can do all his holy will, and all his holy will is perfect. So what else do we need but for God to do all his holy will? It's perfect. It is good. What else do we need? We have a holy God who can do all his holy will. He can do every good and perfect thing. What else do we need? Can God raise the sea? Yes, if he wants to save his people. Can God stop the sun? Yes, if he wants to make a point. <laughs> Can God change the seasons? Can he walk on water? Can he raise the dead? Can he deliver us? Yes, he is almighty. And the most miraculous work of God has already been performed in you. The most miraculous thing God will ever do in your life, he has already done. He has changed your sinful heart. He has raised you from the dead. And on the cross, Christ defeated sin once and for all. He destroyed the works of the devil. He defeated death itself. And our life is eternal life hid in Christ, blessed in Christ. And we are in Christ. And now instead of hating God and our neighbor, as the confession says, we are prone by nature to hate God and neighbor. Now we are prone by the new life to love God. And we are now prone to love neighbor. That is a miraculous work indeed. We have the almighty God. What else do we need? Now we confess that God out of nothing created heaven and earth. By confessing that God created heaven and earth out of nothing and upholds everything by his almighty, omnipresent hand, we are basically saying that science... Is God's science? God is the God of science, and all science is God's science. Therefore, as Reformed Christians, we don't excuse uh, technology; we embrace technology. We should love technology. Technology is God's technology. Technology has a place in God's creation because God made everything in creation. Let me repeat that: technology has a place in God's creation because God has made everything in creation. Now, I can go a lot of places with that last statement when I say God has made everything in creation. Because some places in this world are dark. Some technology comes from an evil place. The technology of planned parenthood is not God's technology. There's nothing about parenthood in that institution. That institution destroys parents. Rather, it kills the most innocent and vulnerable. Did God create that technology? Now, some technology begins good, but then ends in evil places. And no one personifies that truth better than Fritz Haber, are you familiar with Fritz Haber? Let me tell you about Fritz Haber. He was a patriotic Jewish German chemist, Fritz Haber. In 1909, he found a way of synthesizing ammonia for fertilizer from nitrogen and hydrogen. Haber figured out a way to supply nitrogen to produce more food which was an answer to the growing population in the early 20th century. And when he developed this technology, it was deemed a miracle. People actually called it, it was called bread from air. Haber figured out a way to make bread from air. Because in the past, before this invention, you had to basically collect bird, you know, droppings. It was basically, fertilizer was bird droppings, But Haber figured out a way. And he solved the fear of famine that was happening in the earliest 20th century. And it was called, I quote, the most important technological invention of the 20th century. His technology was the most important technological invention in the 20th century. It is said even today, I was reading as I was studying this, it is said today that one in five people in the world, one in five, owe their existence and their life to Haber. Without Haber, we wouldn't be here as a humanity in the exploding population that we have today. And he was given the Nobel Peace Prize for this tech. But during World War I, Haber turned his formula into a high-tech killing machine. And with this technology, he killed thousands of soldiers in the trench warfare of World War I. And he was labeled a war criminal. From the same technology, that was such a blessing. But then it gets darker. They were able to take the smell out of this gas And they named it Zyklon B. And Zyklon B is the gas that they killed thousands upon thousands of his own people in World War II. Such an irony. We owe so much to Haber and his ability to make bread from air. Something that has blessed so many and even today we wouldn't be able to feed the world without Haber. That's God's good gift of science to the world. But also, monstrous evil from the same man. Does God make everything in heaven and earth? If it's good, yes, it's from God. So we give God glory for Haber's work. But at the same time, if it's evil, it's from man. And so we denounce Haber at the same time. The same technology. If it is good, it is from God and God alone. Every good and perfect gift, says James, shines down and rains down from our faithful Father in heaven. But every wicked and evil thing is from man. You see, creation was free from defect and sin. When God created this world, free from Darkness, free from sin. There was no evil because God's not the author of evil. God's the author of it is good, morning and evening, and it was good. But then comes along creation. That is the height of creation, God's image bearers, and we spoiled this world, and we continue to spoil this world. And God permits it. And as he permits it, he is also the author of punishment as judge of the fallen world. But he did not create sin. No creation sinned. And evil is owed to us. Yet God freely saves us, so grace is owed to God because of sin. And because of grace, we have a great Savior. And because of sin and in, in, in creation, we recognize there is ethics in technology. And bioethics is an ever-increasing growing field of study. Perhaps it's something we should study as a church together. I was thinking perhaps we will study bioethics eventually in our Sunday school class. So, for example, it's not quite so simple to say marijuana. God created marijuana, right, because it's natural as a plant. But it's not so simple to say, hey, marijuana is created by God, therefore we can use it. Because that statement gives away too much. It opens up too much. It opens the door up to darkness. You see, ethics isn't merely just black and white. Things aren't merely just black and white. There are gray. And when it comes to the gray things in the world and ethics, we must use Christian wisdom. We must use Christian prudence so that we're not swallowed up by the blackness. God is creator. And God is holy. And God created everything visible and invisible. Everything visible and invisible owes its existence to God, who made everything, as we say theologically, ex nihilo. Ex nihilo means God made everything out of nothing. Psalm 33 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. For he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. You see, it is is simpler and more reasonable to believe that God is the creator. It shores up all philosophical questions and keeps us from believing stupidity like something comes from nothing. Nothing comes from nothing. How could everything come from nothing? That is just ludicrous. And so by belief in God, we can avoid being stupid. That's me picking on the academy. So we confess that God the Father created the world through the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our Trinitarian God created the world freely. He is able to order it as he wills, so we confess a sovereign God. We have a sovereign God. What else do we need? I love the sovereignty of God, such comfort and peace found in a sovereign God, an almighty God, a present God who is our God, who is also a faithful father. And as sovereign God, we confess that there was no no pre-existing matter that would have been co-equal with God in the beginning because there was nothing in the beginning but God. And God created freely all matter. He created our reality out of nothing. And creation is therefore completely distinct from God. There is no exception but God. God is the most exceptional thing. God is simply there and always been there. God simply is. He is creator and we are all creation. Who made God? That's the child's question. You know, the little kid's question when you're doing catechism and they'll ask and be prepared, parents, when they ask, who made God? And you answer, no one, child. God's not made. I mean, it's a simple simple answer, but it's also an effective answer. No one. God's not made. God's maker, mover, the prime mover, the unmoved mover. He is creator of heaven and earth. We are his creatures. Now, maybe the better question is, why did God create? And we find here the chief and ultimate end of all for which God has created is the glory of his holy name and the praise of God. Proverbs 16, 4 says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, all men. Chief end of man, to glorify God. That is the chief end of creation, by the way, to glorify God. God created humanity capable of knowing him, heartily loving him, and living with him for the praise of his glorious name. And we were created to sing the hallelujah chorus. We were created to sing the psalms. We're created to sing the hallelujah chorus, but not only us. No, the Bible actually personifies all of creation And the Bible calls all of creation to glorify the Lord. Psalm 19.1 says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And all of creation has been glorifying the Lord since God made it. Since the very first day when God created creation, the creation has been glorifying God perfectly, a perfect hallelujah course, all except for one creature. And that's us, his highest creature. We are the ones who stopped singing the hallelujah chorus. We are the ones who threw away the Gloria Patri. And forsook the worship of the creator in exchange for the worship of creation itself. All the while, creation is worshiping God. But thankfully, our God is a savior. He's not only our God, he's not only an almighty God, a faithful God, a sovereign God, he is our savior. And he has gathered to himself from the human race, a new humanity an everlasting people to praise his name in the everlasting church. In the church, we come to know him and praise him as creator, almighty and father. And in this glory, God gives and we find our comfort. We actually find our comfort in the worship of God because in the worship of God, God gives. He gives himself. He gives us his righteousness, his life, his peace, his joy. And so worshiping God is comfort, which makes sense because that's our purpose. That's our highest end, that is our goal in life. And in this goal, and in this highest end, we we find our highest purpose. We find our highest goal. We find our highest end. We find our highest comfort. We find the comfort of a holy God, a faithful father, an almighty, a creator, a sovereign, and a savior, God. What else do we need? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit missoulaurc.com. That's missoulaurc.com.